Grace and peace, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us today. This is The Way Podcast. I'm Pastor Ben LaGrange, and today I'm joined by... Pastor Paul Willis. Pastor Paul Willis. Uh, Paul, we, we became friends about four years ago now, right? That's very true, Ben. Yeah. So uh, you want to explain to people who you are, what you do, and, and go from there. Well, I'm a person that became a second career pastor um, after studying my brains out and getting very confused. And uh, I've uh, been a full-time pastor for 15 years, and I retired full-time a year ago. And uh, I continue to do things. I do funerals and weddings and, and do pulpit supply when requested. And, and just I just love God's Word. Absolutely. I, I uh, came to know Paul because the Methodist church that I'm at right now, at St. Mark's in Comanche, is literally two blocks away from the church he used to serve. And I'd come and harass you on a weekly basis, if I remember right. Uh, heavily. <laughs> heavily. <laughs> Paul and I get along. We both have a weird sense of humor, uh, a lot of great jokes, and uh, a lot of great times that we've had. And uh, he showed me a lot through my first pastoral appointment. And uh, I was just coming in as he's going out, and uh, we're still friends, and we're going to remain that way, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. The restraining order might eventually, though, right? But, you know, Ben, the thing is, you know, we both love God's Word. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think that's the important thing. And uh, I think it's always good to get together with people and discuss what the Bible says. Absolutely. And that's exactly why we're here and what we do. So today we're actually going to be going through the, the book of Mark. We're going to continue on in this series. We're going to be on chapter 9. Now, I want to give you a quick note here because if you're following along in your Bible, it may not say exactly what we're saying because I'm using the New International Version, which is kind of the standard of what I use. Sure. And I've got an older version of that, which I like. And Paul is actually going to be using the ESV, the English Standard Version, right? Correct. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read through the first section. I'm actually going to start at verse 2 because, well, let's face it, chapter 9... Or chapter 8 really ends on verse 1 of chapter 9. <laughs> so it's kind of a different conversation. So I'm going to start here and then we'll discuss from that point. Um, chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to the high mountain. And they were all alone. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Sorry, Clorox. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. And they appeared, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Well, obviously, let's put up a tent, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> I cannot imagine. It's crazy, right? And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and, and no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, What did the teachers of the law say that why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied to him, Be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why is it written, then, that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? 
But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, you know, Ken, can you stop right here a minute, Ben? Absolutely. Can, can you imagine the confusion, not only for people reading this today, but what these men saw and what he said to them? What do you imagine they were thinking? You know, I can't imagine doing anything other than fainting like a goat. That's what I'd do. I'd be running. I'd be running. You know, it's, it's clearly a mess when you run into something like this. And I think, uh, although I didn't get to see this particular thing, I've seen some strange things uh, in just the, the few years that I've been a Christian. And it has absolutely floored me, and I've stood there slack-jawed and drooling. Um, I've been left bawling on occasion and, and sweating profusely and nose running. But to see what they saw is absolutely bonkers. And of course, we, me and my friends, we like to make fun of it because, uh, what else would you do? Uh, can I make a tent for you? Can I, um, can I build you a house there? Well, you know me, I have my camper, and I'd, I'd be looking for campers, you know. I want it a little more comfortable than just a tent. Hey, Jesus, do you want the electric and the water hookup, or are you going to rough it there? You want to slide out on your camper, or how are we going to do this? Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's a strange thing that goes about it. But there's something I see as a principle in this, because, well, we all want to, like, surround ourselves with hundreds and hundreds of people. But Jesus, he's got 12 guys. Twelve best friends, right? Why'd he pick these three? Well, you know what? Here's the deal. You know, you've got twelve, but three of them are his closest friends. Right. And one of those he calls beloved. Aren't we that way? Yeah. Don't we have friends and then we have close friends? Oh, absolutely. Closer than family. Yeah. And and he, he allows these three to see this. But this also reminds me of a spot in the Old Testament where um, Elijah goes up on that same mountain. Mm-hmm. And where does he see God? He hears him in the whisper. He hears him in the, yes. And what, what does God tell him? Here's, here's three guys that are going to help you attempt and, or uh, complete your mission, mm-hmm. right? So he gives him Elisha and the other two names escape me without looking it up. But he's like, these are your guys to take care of it after you are gone. And he is taken up in a cloud. Right. Hmm. Sound familiar? He's gone. Right. So things kind of repeat themselves on a regular basis. And... And I see the same thing happening here again. They were allowed to see God in his glory. Now, here's the, the other oddity that I see in this when I'm, I'm looking at this section. God shows up in a cloud. The voice came from a cloud. Where else do you see that, Paul? Do you remember? Remember they followed yeah, God around they, in the cloud? They fought, the, the Israelites followed God. Yeah. <clears throat> pillar of cloud by day or, or and a pillar of fire by night. Absolutely. So in, in this, we're actually seeing uh, God appearing. We're seeing two Old Testament prophets that we know to be dead. Yes. Or one that we know to be dead and one we know to be, you know, taken up. And, and it's a strange thing that we see, and we don't have answers for all of these things. But they... You know, just the chapter before, Peter called him the Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean, hey, you're God. Right. You're the Savior. Right. But then he sees Christ for who he truly is. So he almost had a clue, but not quite the right thing. He was uh, not exactly pinpointing it. 
Is there anything else that kind of jumps out to you in this section? I know you've preached on it at least five or 20 times, right? At least. <laughs> but, you know, as I look at, you know, when the cloud overshadowed him, and the voice came out of the cloud, and I'm reading in the ESV, and mine says, this is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. Listen to him. Yeah. And as soon as those words were spoke, spoken, the only one they saw was Jesus. Nobody else was there again. Right. Everybody had disappeared. And then coming down the mountain, he said, don't say anything to anybody. Don't tell anybody what you saw. And you know what? This is the first time that someone listens to Jesus when he says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, you, my brother and I were talking about this a few days ago when we recorded chapter 7. And, you know, Jesus, you know, they're talking about the nastiness of they, they didn't wash their hands before they eat. And the, what about the clean bowls and all this? And Jesus like... spits on his fingers, puts it in his ear, throws it in his mouth, and they're like, earwax. He can talk. (laughs) And he's like, don't tell anybody. He's like, you just allowed me to talk for the first time. What am I supposed to do? But these guys actually hold on to this. Yeah, it's interesting. In verse uh, 10, it says, so they kept the matter to themselves. And what was their question? They kept wondering what this rising from the dead could mean. How many meanings can it have? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Rising from (laughs) the dead. What do you mean you don't understand that? Right. And it's weird because they see him as like this uh, military savior guy. And that's what they understand him to be. Oh, he's here to take care of those nasty Romans. He's going to kick them out and he's going to throw down on them like like you wouldn't believe. He's going to kick them out like Captain America. But, I mean, here it comes down to the, the basics. They're like not actually seeing him as God, but then he's revealed. Right. He's revealed as God. And they're like, well, how's he going to die? And, you know, we had the same issue in the previous chapter where, I mean, he's done this before. He's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like, what do you not get about this, right? What part of this don't you understand? Right. And it's so easy for us after the fact to just say, oh, you big dummies. Oh, you big dummies. Right? Well, we've got the word. We've read the end of the book. Yeah. We know how it ends. They didn't. Exactly. So we've. it kind of seems like old news to us. And, well, hello, how could you not get it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like watching Star Wars, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back and saying, of course he's your father. Of course he's your father, Luke, right? Yeah. We all get it. We all know. We've been there. In fact, we start with the ending, don't we? <laughs> I think that's usually where most people begin. Yeah. So we're looking back at it, and they're like, of course you can't die. And, you know, Jesus is all, hey, I'm, I'm going to die, and I'm going to do this. And Peter's like, shut up. That's not going to happen. That ain't going to happen on my watch. Right? What does Jesus tell Peter? Shut up and get behind get me. Get behind me, Satan. Shut up and get behind me, uh, right? Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? Oh, man. I... Man, I can imagine several times that Jesus would tell me to shut up. <laughs> I know there's been many times in my life when I couldn't hear him say shut up. Right, right. I I see that on a regular basis. <laughs> <clears throat> well, there's a lot to consider within this, but you know, we we don't have hours for that particular piece. So, uh let's go through the second section. Uh Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. Uh, did you want to read through that? Yeah, where are we at? 
We are on verse 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with scribes arguing. What? What would they possibly argue about? Oh my, I don't know. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran. Why were they amazed? Hmm. 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 And they ran up to him and greeted him. And when he asked them, he asked them, "What are you arguing about with them?" And someone from the crowd answered him, "Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute." And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And I like this answer. And this is something that I think we fail to realize. And can you imagine him saying this to you or me, Ben? Oh, faithless generation. Oh, my. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. Wow. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if, listen to this, but if, here's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Don't we do that? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you said that? Help my unbelief. Oh, not that many. (laughs) (laughs) You're better than I am. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And this is the part that I really like. And he said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Yeah. Anything but prayer. What did Jesus call his father's house? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. For all people. For all people. How often do we pray? Three times a day. <laughs> At least. <laughs> right? Well, we should. It all be. depends on what religion you are. Sometimes you got to pray five times a day. Yeah, we're supposed to do Lord Prayer three times a day, but uh, you know we should also be praying on a regular basis aside from that. But then when I look at what the Apostle Paul says, mm-hmm. pray without, without ceasing. Without ceasing, exactly. So, you know, this tells me that prayer is pretty important. Highly important. Yes. You know, this is, when I went to seminary, this was, uh, they were like, stay away from this with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Because there have been people that have been irresponsible with some of this, and there's no doubt about it. But I was actually told that 
Well, you shouldn't talk to people that have certain problems with this. You know, clearly the boy was having seizures, and what you need is not prayer, but you need you need medication. a medical doctor, right? And and by no means would I deny someone their medication, but should we be praying for them? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's that's really the main piece here. It's not a matter of how to treat. This is this is really dealt with as Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. Yes. It is not called how to cure epilepsy. No. And, you know, in, in all fairness, we can actually see signs of one, and but we don't know that that's always the case. So we see uh, different possessions in people. I, I would actually call some of these things possessions, and I know this gets a, into touchy, weird territory for people, but let's be fair. When you get addicted to alcohol, Mm -hmm. you can actually see that on a brain scan. Yes. You can see that in your liver. Yes. Right? Uh, When someone is dealing with addiction to pornography, you can see that in a brain scan. Yes. You can see that physiologically. But those things actually only are removed from people by prayer and by distance and separation. There's, There's ways to take care of that. And we know that, you know, even 12-step programs, which, you know, some are more successful than others, but the ones that are spiritually led uh, and led in a Christian way tend to be a lot more successful than than just standard believe whatever you want as long as you believe in something, right? Yeah, as, as your belief system has to be right. And if your belief system is aligning with Scripture, yeah, then you're much better off. Because we look at, as, as I look at, I used to do a jail ministry. And, and one of the hardest things that I would encounter would be wrong thinking. Yeah. They were thinking wrong. And that comes back to Scripture. Yeah, if you, if you believe in the wrong thing, you'll either end up amazed or disappointed. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was 18 years old, and I went out to the mall with my dad. And uh, I got sucker punched by, the, there was a, couple of guys that were hanging out and I don't know why I just I ended up being the target and when I was young I thought my dad was Superman I really did uh, I just thought there was no one stronger his his biceps were about as big as my chest you know <laughs> the guy was big and then as I got older and I think the moment that I got taller than him I thought he was nothing I thought I, I think at one point I apologize father but uh, I think I called him a slob a fat slob, <laughs> but I forgot that he was strong. <laughs> and that day, uh, this guy sucker punched me just out of nowhere. I don't know how I ended up becoming the target. Uh, but there was a brawl that ensued and they didn't know that I wasn't alone. <laughs> and I saw my dad pick up this guy over his head and throw him on the ground. And I thought, okay, he is no longer a fat slob. My father is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> See, I was, I had a belief. Did he carry shirt? No, he didn't. didn't Thank the Lord he didn't. Nobody needed to see that. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is that I I could have gone in the wrong direction with that. I was in the belief that my father was less than he was, and I was amazed. But what happens when it goes the opposite direction, when you think that no matter what you pray for, it will happen? You get disappointed. And when you get disappointed and it happens repeatedly... You stop believing in that thing in the way that it should be properly. 
So I'm, I'm absolutely with you. The proper belief is there. We know that God can, but we know he doesn't always will it or want it to. Amen. Amen. So that's an important thing right there. Let's jump on to the next section because Jesus again, again, predicts his death. Mm-hmm. They left that place. We're starting with verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know they were there because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So how how can you not understand that? I'm going to be killed, and in three days I'll rise again. Mm-hmm. Isn't that pretty plain? It is, but let's be fair. Paul, if I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to the gym, and in three days I'm going to bench press your truck, that's the kind of feat that they were looking at, wasn't it? Because that is not, look, I'm a strong dude, and I could maybe... But if I, you said that, I'd be giving you a stranger look than I usually give you. <laughs> I just thought the strange look on your face was normal for you. <laughs> Some say it is. Some say it is. Well, you know, I was looking at it in this way. And, and I was thinking, how do you not get it, dummy? Right? How do you not understand this? But I'm going to die and come back. Now, if I said that to my congregation on Sunday, they ain't going to oh, believe boy. it. They ain't going to believe it. I may not be able to come back next Sunday. <laughs> but the fact of it is, he's telling them something. And they're seeing them seeing Jesus more than just some random dude, obviously. They know that there is something going on with him. Three of them know there's a lot more to this. That he's not just Messiah, but he's, this is my son. I am well pleased, right? Yeah. This is my beloved. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. So then... How much, how much harder would it be for Peter, who is Mark's mentor, to be the first guy to say, okay, you're, you're the guy that's going to save us from Rome, and to say, oh, you're the son of God. So is it harder to see your, your superhero, your general of the army, just come in and say, I'm going to die, but I'll be back? Or is it tougher to say, as a person, you, as this thing that you know is God, and say, okay, Jesus, you're God, and we get that. How are you going to die? And how are you going to come back? If that well, is he case. said he was going to be killed. Yeah. But he didn't tell them how. No. And I can't, can't imagine that they had any idea that it would be as it was, as it turned out. Yeah. That's a, it's a big, wow, that's a big crazy moment there, right? Well, they were so confused that it says that... that they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the, the, the thing, and it's, it's always easy for us to look in on this situation like it's no different than any other movie or TV show or a book we would read. But, listeners, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. Put yourself in that place at that time. Mm. Stop and think, okay... If you didn't know what you know. Can I get on Facebook and ask? You could. <laughs> but I mean, at that time, I could Right. Yeah, obviously not. Obviously, I you didn't know. have the advantage of Facebook. Right. But, you know, at that point, you're, you're limited in your knowledge. 
you're limited in in the time that you've been around and seen this thing. We know that people that die, that well, they stay dead, right? And they've seen a couple of people come back to life. Yeah. But he's the one that's doing it. So if he's doing it, and he's the one that has the power to do that, how is he coming back if he's already gone? Yeah, how is he going to do that? That's another problem in itself, isn't it? Well, there's a- so so you're saying that, that that could be part of the reason why they didn't understand and that they were afraid to ask him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think if, if I'm sitting in their sandals and I, I'm looking at... <laughs> bless you. me. Thank you. And, and I'm sitting in their sandals and I'm, I'm looking at this, this situation. How is this going to get managed? <laughs> to be honest, I think I'm lost on that. You know, if, Paul, if you told me you're going to die tomorrow and then you're going to come back when you're done because you ain't finished, I'm going to say, oh, Muffin, I don't know what's going on, but sure, let's go ahead and believe that How for are now. you going to do that? You're dead. Right. Right. You there. You can't unbake the cake, you know? You can't unbake That's that cake. That's right. And it's a, it's a situation that we know for a fact. I mean, I don't know how many people that I've, I've seen laid out in the casket. And you're, I know you've been in the same situation, right? Uh, that reminds me of a story, Ben, about the pastor. He pastored the church for 25 years, and he finally yeah. quit and became a mortician. And I asked him why. He said, well, you know, he said, in the church, he said, I've worked with the Johnson family for years. Never could get that mess straightened out. He said, I worked with the Smith family for years. Never could get that straightened out. But he said, now that I'm a mortician, when I straighten somebody out, they stay straight. <laughs> Terrible joke. Dark uh, humor. Sorry. I love it. I love it, though. <laughs> but they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Right. And you got to think, you know, everybody's, most people you ask him, like, well, what would you do if you met Jesus? Well, I'd ask him about this. I'd ask him about that. And they were afraid to ask him. That's a unique situation right there. Absolutely. I remember Steve Brown saying one time, he said, if you've ever stood before the living God and your knees didn't knock together from fear, you weren't standing before the living God. (laughs) You might have been laid out before him too. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, it's a strange moment there. and, And there they're left befuddled. They just, you know... I wish I could have been there in that moment, but I know my, my reaction probably would have been no different. I can't imagine it would have been. I, mine wouldn't either. Yeah. Now, could you read uh, verses 33 through 37? Sure. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Mm -hmm. Uh Aha. Yeah, and, and there's something to that, that servitude. You know, there's um, the easiest discussion that we can have about love is not how I feel for you 
or what I think about you. That's an emotion. It's what I do for you. It's what I do. It's what I do for you. So it's, you know, I, I'm thinking of a, a relationship that um, I know someone to be in. And they continually do for someone else. Mm-hmm. And that person doesn't reciprocate the feelings. It doesn't go across all boundaries. And the question is, if I'm doing all these things for this person, why do I love them and they don't love me? And the answer is, they don't love you because they're not doing for you. And right. you love them because you're doing for them. I'm never surprised when, when someone doesn't appreciate what I do. If you, if you wait for appreciation all your life, you're going to be waiting a long... You're going to have a sad life. Long time, yeah, sad life. But when you do what you do out of love, that repetition happens, you know. I was teasing my wife earlier because uh, I turned the crock pot on to Lois, she asked, and I said, well, I said, absolutely, I, 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 will, I will go ahead and break my arm trying to do it if I have to. And she's like, oh, for a little old me? And I said, well... Great love requires great responsibility. That's right. That is right. <laughs> oh, she she loves my terrible sense of humor. That's not true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we look at love is actually measured by what you're doing for someone, not how you feel or what you think or how they respond. And that takes us back to, I think, how much does God love us? Well, how much did he serve us? Yeah, how much did he serve us? He paid the penalty for my sins, which are immense. Yeah. And he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son mm-hmm. in a horrible way. Yeah. Here's the... For me? Right. This is the thing that really brings a distinction for me. Because when I go over to India and Nepal, um, in that area, you have to serve your God. You serve your God. Yeah. Uh, you're... You're bringing, I've literally seen statues that they will bring flowers to. And some of these people look very, very hungry, but they will bring flowers and smash them across the faces of these statues to feed the God. I've seen people bring actual food and lay it out before a statue of some multiple armed animal faced animal or, you know, quote unquote God. So when they they bring to idols the things that they would need in hopes that they would get something else from them. But we actually have something different where we have a God that serves us. And we don't in turn serve him. We accept that love and act as a reaction of love and serving others. And I think that's the biggest distinction that, that I think we need to understand as Christianity. It's not that you serve God. It's that God served you, and you should react to that accordingly. He gives me breath. He gives me one breath at a time. He never promises the next. Just one. Exactly. And why does he give me that breath? Because he loves me. Mm -hmm. There's a constant dependence upon what we have uh, for him and what we need uh, from God. But he loves us enough to continue to do what's necessary. And uh, don't we find that easy to do in our own lives? Oh. To love others? <laughs> you know, a lot of what I do... It's easy to love the lovely. It is so easy to love the lovely. But a lot of what I do is, is simply 
out of a reaction of what God did for me. Yes. To love the ugly. And I know that, that I don't find myself on the beauty scale anywhere. Uh, not in how I act. In not what runs through my mind, definitely. And certainly not how I look either. <laughs> but, you know, when, when God has loved us through the ugly moments and the ugly times... It's simply through an adoption, a love. Like we can no, no more rid ourselves of his relationship, I think. Um, I think we are there and we are adopted and we are his. And, and I know there's different philosophies on that. Um, and not every person is, is going to heaven. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when we are chosen, when we are in that moment, we have the freedom to actually live out uh, it's that that balance of uh, not necessarily total free will and not necessarily uh, total choosing, right? Right. It's he loves us, and we can choose to live in his way, and and he loves that. He really, really does. And he blesses that. Blesses that. You know, blessings follow obedience, and that's something oh, that's absolutely. Oh, that true. is so true. You can see that with our own children. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid does good. Here, we'll buy you candy bar. Oh, yeah. You know, they get blessed for following what the father said. Yeah. And Don't we forget that when we become adults? We do. And, you know, one of the most powerful things that I found is actually, especially when I go overseas, is washing people's feet. And if you want to be the greatest in the world, get down and wash someone's feet. Amen. Literally physically do that it's um it's hard to accept and understand that here in american culture but in places where they're sandal cultures they really really understand that on a much deeper level than we do and and there's a lot of power in that in doing the things that jesus actually did i'm going to jump onto the next section which is starting with verse 38 mm-hmm. teacher said john We saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because of you, uh, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. Now, there's a whole lot of denominations. And, and they're I, not doing it the way we do it. They are not doing it the way we do oh, it. Oh, how and, horrible. And there's a, certainly a lot of people in denominations that are not doing it like the other people what? in the same denomination. What? Paul, it is a shame, shame, shame. <laughs> it is. You know, we've you and I have had this discussion. And because you're... You're in a Baptist church. I'm in a Methodist church. I've gone to Pentecostal, Assembly of God. That means we shouldn't really be talking to each other. Oh, uh, yeah. Because gonna... we do things different. Oh, my. I'm going to need to shun you from here. Oh, 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 Paul, it'll be best if you leave. I'll place. shun you first. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that hurts. You shouldn't have done that, sir. <laughs> well, you threatened me. Oh, my. But, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we actually do that sort of thing. and We here, do. We actually see... The simplicity of it. Jesus said, hey, this is a weird thing. Uh, and, and sometimes it seems counterintuitive, right? No one who does a miracle in my name 
can in the next moment say anything bad about me. And whoever's against us, uh, whoever is not against us is for us. Now, there are quite clearly some who rail against the idea and say, no, 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 not that guy. And they would say terrible and horrible things about him. But even those who are not yet for him are still with him. And he's there for those. And I think that is a simple and amazing truth that we need to get at. You know, I've actually considered, and, and you know, everybody's got an opinion on this, so opinion time with Ben. How are you doing? <laughs> um, well, I need to load my vehicle up with cups of water. Right. Because that's all I need to do, isn't it? Go around and give cups of water? Yeah, living water. Huh? Yeah. Isn't that it? Yeah, absolutely. Is that it? <laughs> is that well, the way that works? Well, I think we, we look at what Christianity is, right? Catholic with a small c, right? Yeah. Um, church so, universal, whatever you want to Church call universal, it. exactly. So when we start looking at it, um, Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, uh, Quakers. Pentecostals, Quakers, what, I mean, we all believe the same thing. And really what it comes down to is about a 5% variance of how we do what we do. Is it that big? Do you think it's that big? 5%? It may not even be 5%, but man, I'm calling it 5% just to just for a point of this discussion here. Now, we have a big desk in front of us, Paul. If we covered 95% of the desk in glue, and then we glued a big piece of paper down to that desk and let it dry, is that ever going to come up? Is that piece of paper ever going to come no. up? No. It'll come up in pieces. It'll only come up if we pick away at the pieces that aren't glued down. That's right. And I think there's something to that because there's so many things we agree on, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the biggest part of doctrine, this this general, if you believe in Christianity, this is what you believe, right? And it's I know indoctrination and doctrines can be kind of a dirty word for some people, but this is the simplicity of what we know. It's actually... Majority of it is based in the Apostles' Creed. Yes. It's a summation of what Scripture says. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, our Lord. And and it goes on. And if we held true to those things, we wouldn't have to worry about whether we dunk somebody or sprinkle somebody, whether we serve wine or whether we serve Welch's grape juice. And we we wouldn't have to pick at those particular things. They would become non-issues. They are non-issues that we just pretend like they are because, or you remember... We make them an issue. Way back at the beginning here, you remember we were talking about, oh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees yes. were arguing. Arguing. You ever met a pastor that likes to argue? No, never. What? <laughs> I think that's... I, I look back on the three years I spent in seminary, and... I can't count a single day that somebody wasn't arguing about something. Now, if you compare that with what we see in that that dissertation of, of John, yes. going from chapters, I think, 14 to 17, where he talks about you should be in me as I am in you, and as, as I am in the Father, you should be with one another. Mm-hmm. You should be unified to us and to each other. So first to God and then with people. And here we are picking at each other. And if he actually did this in Jesus' name, then he is qualified in that in that case. And I think there's a whole lot to fight about. And even in our own denomination in the Methodist Church, there's a lot of fights that are going on right now. And and really what it comes down to is do we believe 
God through Scripture, through His presence and power, an actual relationship. <clears throat> and, you know, without getting political or, or argumentative about the situation, we need to look as, is God using that person despite the person? Amen. Because God, I think, on occasion uses me despite me. Well, when I look in the Baptist church, where there's 68 different sects, S-E-C-T-S, that is, for clarification purposes. Oh, Paul. 68 different <laughs> sects of, of Baptist. And when somebody says, I'm a Baptist, what do they mean? Right. I prefer to say I'm a Christian. And I think that's absolutely important. Because what I found, I called myself a Methodist for a while. And... There were a whole lot of people telling me, you ain't no Methodist. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, no, absolutely. And then <clears throat> I, um, it was a very strange thing for me, to, to be honest. The church that I went to, the, the Methodist church, was fairly charismatic, high into discipleship, and a uh, high level of small group Bible studies. Um, community activities, community outreach, discipleship, evangelism, the the whole thing. And um, then I learned that you can't go down to the road to the next Methodist church and expect it to be the same. Exactly. Same in the Baptist church. I've been accused in a Baptist by a, in a deacon's meeting of not being Baptist enough. <laughs> and my question was, what do you mean? Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? Not Baptist enough. Right. And and that's really not even a question. It's how no. How well do you know God? How well does God know you? And how does that affect <clears throat> you? And I think there's there's a lot more to do in that because Methodist Church looks a whole lot different when one pastor leaves and another one comes sometimes. Yes, it does. And and I think there's those <clears throat> culture shifts that make the difference and we're too ready to say culture and this person is with me and that person is without me and this one's doing the right thing and I swear I wouldn't do it that way and it becomes problematic to say the least and Jesus makes that very plain right here in verse 40 for the one who is not against us is for us yeah and I think there's uh there's something that actually brings a further exclamation point to it between verses 42 and 50 could you read this for me 42 and 50 whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is Jesus saying that? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, it, but what? it is. Oh, that's crazy. I know. Yeah, and, and, you know, I just want to stop here for a second because, to be honest, I'm tired of the fluffy Jesus idea. I know. He's not a plush doll. Who's, Look at what he said. I know, that is... Ooh, it's equal strengths or equal parts strength and love. The problem is most people don't know what a millstone is. Oh, yeah, it's a big grinder it's stone. a big grinder stone that weighs several tons. You know, I can't swim with several tons tied around my neck. You're not that strong, Paul? No, I'm you, sorry. You're a big dude. You should be able to swim with that, right? But then he gets even, even more harsh. Yeah. If we go to verse 43... If your hand causes you to sin, slap it. No, that's no. not what it says. Oh, no, uh, to ignore it. Ignore no, it, right? that's not what it says. Um, pray against it? No, that's not what it says. Tie it to the other hand. Well, 
even stronger. Whoa, what does it say, Paul? Cut it off. Whoa. Cut your hand off because it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. That's pretty tough words. That's rough. That is very rough. Very rough. Yeah, it, it is a strange thing that a lot of people just don't even consider that Jesus would say anything so harsh. So they don't always know how to calculate that. But Let's, he goes on. He, oh, he goes on. Oh, There's not more. Just, you're not just going to cut off your hand. Oh, my. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. <gasps> it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And it gets worse. And oh if your eye causes you to sin, and, and this, listen to what he says, tear it out. Whoa. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, there's actually a footnote in my Bible that says, uh, eye patches are cool and they make you look like a pirate. R. R. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And Do I have to read that last part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, my. Oh. This one's rough, Paul. Be at peace. With one another. Whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait whoa, a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. We were just talking about cutting your hand off, plucking your eye out, cutting your leg off, and being at peace with one another. Oh. Uh. Wow. So that means, does that include the church down the street? Oh, yeah, I guess But they so. don't teach what we teach. <gasps> well, they don't use the Bible? Well, they use the Bible. Oh. But there's something about them. Oh, they're just kind of, they just don't seem they're like different. the same. Yeah. I think, don't tell anybody, but I think they sprinkle. <gasps> yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. They sprinkle. Yeah, they, they, don't, uh, they don't dunk people when they baptize them, huh? And they use grape juice. Grape juice. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. What if I'm diabetic? Sorry. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to go to that other church. Gluten, sugar-free, grape juice? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I got you on that. The Paleo Church. The Paleo Church. There Is that go. a thing? There you go. Not yet. We'll no, see that. We'll see coming. that soon enough. It's it coming. is coming, yeah. CrossFit's pretty much a church of its own, so why not Paleo? But when we look <laughs> at all this, and, and really, what's Jesus saying? What is he saying? Well, I think it's it's a continuation of the last one, even though they section it out uh, throughout most Bibles, most modern Bibles. So if you read that as one, don't stop him, because if he's doing it in my name, yeah. then he's not against us. No, he's for us. Right. So we're not gonna we're not gonna, you know, shun that guy if he's doing the right thing and for the right reasons in the right way. And we're not gonna, you know, granted he's saying I I don't know, there could be two ways to take this, just to be fair. Um it could be if that guy is doing the wrong thing. He's going to suffer the punishment. Or as long at as At my hands? <laughs> no, at God's no. hands. No. But uh, I can't lift a stone that big. I can't either. <laughs> so uh, I can't bench press your truck as we, we touched on earlier. That's not true either. But uh, <laughs> You probably can, but I don't care. <laughs> Maybe the back end. I don't know. Um, 
so as it stands, we're we're looking at this, and it's saying that if that person does this, they're going to receive their punishment from God, yes, not from us. But it also is, <clears throat> hey, if they're not hurting anyone, if they're doing things in the right way, God can work through that. There's um, there's something I learned in in uh, school. It's a a little Latin term, and I'm probably going to mess it up. So please don't write me nasty letters and tell me otherwise, okay? I, I know it's just generally the thing. There's a Latin term, uh, I think it's called ex opero operanti. Um, and basically it's a, a way of explaining a question that someone had for the Catholic Church. They're like, well, what if my priest is a terrible priest? Does the, does the baptism still work? Does the sacrament still work? And and the fact of it is, is ex opero operanti, if you translate it to, to common terms now, it still sounds slightly Italian, and it is what it is. It is what it <laughs> is. It is what it is. It works because it works. It operates in that way because God is doing it, not the priest, not the pastor. Exactly. Which is good news for all the people that are in my parish. <laughs> yeah, whose heart is he working on? Right. And and the fact of it is, is God is working through these people, not that guy. Did that guy actually, he's healing people, right? Yes. Did Does he have that superpower? No. No, he doesn't. No, God is working through God that God is person. working through him. Yeah. So <clears throat> in that way, it'll, it'll work. Now, the, uh, the whole causing you to sin thing, you know, that is a... That is an ordeal that we don't take very serious, but man, Jesus puts that dead serious. He puts a weight on that thing. When you literally. go back, when you go back to the beginning of verse forty-two, mm-hmm. and I want you to look at the first word, whoever, mm-hmm. whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and then he goes on and talks about the millstone, yeah. talks about cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot, tearing out your eye, mm. whoever. So it doesn't make any difference whether it's a priest, a rabbi, right. a pastor, a chaplain, the person next door, whoever covers everybody. Whoever. And and here's the thing about that. There are too many people out there just with a random opinion based on not much of anything, teaching their kids, teaching their friends. Oh, you mean this isn't like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And there is the the simplicity of Jesus loves me, this I know. But there's also people that say, well, discount everything that was in the Old Testament because the New Testament is what matters. And those rules don't apply and this rules do apply. And and you can go ahead and do that because Jesus told me it was okay. Um, there's There's a lot of oddities about that. And yet, this is what he has to say. It's better for, you know what? What could be worse than having a a rock tied around your throat and tossed into the ocean? I can't imagine much worse than that. They give you a knife, but the only thing you're going to use that for is cut off your arm, cut off your leg. Gouge out your gouge eye. Gouge out right? your eye. Ooh, harsh, harsh That's thing. harsh. Yeah. It is definitely a, a rough spot. And this is a this is a chapter that, I mean, it kind of runs all over the map, doesn't it? It really does. So we've covered... Jesus being transfigured on the mountain so they could actually see who he is. We've seen God speak from a cloud. Right. So we are like, okay, it's God. And he proves it through healing a demon-possessed boy, right? They, he talks about 
service. Yes. Who's the greatest and who's not? Well, get low, right? And then talking about how to deal with people also healing in his name and people that are slightly different than you, but still in that 95%, right? So it's it's a strange deal that we look at, um, but it it covers a lot of ground there. And I think it's definitely worth... um, Going back and reading again. and I, I appreci- think it is. I appreciate everybody coming along with us here today and listening to us read the Bible and discuss it with you. But I want to make sure that it's not just me doing it for you. Make sure to pick up your own Bible as well. If you don't have one, contact us. There's plenty of ways for us to get you one. You know, we want to make sure that you're in the Word, in the Bible, reading for yourself. Because when we pray to God, often it's through the Bible that He speaks back to us. And that's how we hear So keep going out there, keep picking up the Bible, keep it open, and keep listening. Uh, Make sure to hit subscribe so we can continue to to get to these informative conversations. And uh, also listen to the Other Way podcast where we have a more uh, informal discussion about other topics related to the gospel, church, and how we live our Christian lives. Uh, Let's take a quick moment to pray, and then we'll close out here today. Father God, I just want to take a moment. And I want to thank you for all the wonderful things you've done. There's so many things that I can't even wrap my head around. And yet, you treat me like your beloved child. Mm. You don't treat me like a poor, foolish idiot. And I know that I am. And I know I fill that role. Lord, I thank you not just for the things you've done, but for your wonderful grace. A grace that actually leads me to live differently. To deal with your your other children accordingly. Keep showing me and providing me ways where I can get low so I can help other people. Not just talk about it, but do it. Lord, I'm thankful for these things. Give us opportunities in which to love and to share and improve upon the lives of other people, Lord. To say there, not just that, hey, I'm glad I could help you, but to say first and foremost that you love me first, God. Thank you for this in your holy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Any any last words, Paul? No, I I just think that as I look at the Bible, I think it's such an amazing book written over a period of 1,600 years on three different continents in three different languages by 40, over 40 different authors, and it tells the same story. Amen to that. Well, thank you for spending your time with us here today, and thanks for sharing. And uh, Paul is always busy and always at work, so if you're around <laughs> Manch, you probably know him anyways. If you're around Clinton, you'll know him anyways, and many other parts of the world. So keep doing what you do, sir, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome.